The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's mightiest heroes type thing. Avengers, time to work for a living. That's my secret. I'm always angry. I am on the side of life. You get hurt, hurt him back. You get killed, walk it off. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers. Welcome to episode 48 of Some Assembly Required, your weekly adventure into the annals of Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers. This week, we are taking a look at Avengers Annual Number 1, The Monstrous Master Plan of the Mandarin. This week's issue is written by Roy Thomas, pencils by Don Heck, inks by George Bell, letters by Art Simic, and it comes to us in September of 1967. So as you can see, we are getting the band back to together a little bit with the return at least for this issue of Don Heck and this is also going to be our first Avengers annual issue. This is Avengers annual number one. It is a beefy 53 pages. The cover says 49 but including a couple of other bonus pages it's 49 pages of story, the cover, and a couple of pinups. So 53 pages. That is a lot of story to cover. So to be perfectly honest with you guys I will not be covering every exact detail of this issue because I would like to keep this at a reasonable runtime. Also it's been a little bit of a crazy couple weeks for me so I have not had a chance to do my normal set of fairly extensive inclusive notes so you guys are just going to be kind of rolling with me for this one and with that in mind let's go ahead and jump into the issue starting with our cover it is really a rather packed cover we have the Avengers bursting through a wall and there are the faces of the villains we will see in this issue around them so you have the Mandarin Power Man the Living Laser the Swordsman and Enchantress and Executioner. That is quite the collection of villains that the Avengers get to face off in this issue. However, it's worth noting that with the exception of the Hulk, this issue is bringing back all of the former Avengers. So Iron Man and Thor will be joining us as full-on Avengers in this issue, which is something we haven't seen since they left the team in issue 16. Now, our opening splash page for this issue really has nothing to do with the story. It has the Avengers battling oversized villains with a giant face of the Mandarin behind them. Really kind of is a foreshadowing to the fact that the Mandarin is going to be pulling the strings behind our villains throughout this issue. So the issue opens with Tony Stark at a local prison demonstrating a new non-lethal peacekeeping device he has. Effectively it's a stun ray that will incapacitate any prisoners. The idea is to cut back on prison riots and things like that. And in addition he has some rifle-like stun weapons. He's also showing off to the prison warden. Now, unbeknownst to Tony Stark, in this very prison is the Living Laser, our good friend Arthur Parks. Apparently, this is where he is serving his time since we last saw him, and he's putting his time to good use as he is creating new wrist lasers. Now, Arthur freely admits that he doesn't know where he got the parts for these lasers. They just appeared in his cell, but he doesn't really care. He takes advantage of the situation, assembles the laser, and uses them for his escape. So as the living laser is escaping, Tony Stark is getting ready to leave the prison. Of course, when he hears the alarms, Tony Stark reacts and takes the opportunity to put on his Iron Man suit and attempt to engage the living laser. This doesn't go particularly well for Iron Man, especially given the fact that Iron Man hasn't ever faced off against the living laser. And to be 
honest, the living laser is fairly powerful. Tony takes a shot in the chest that nearly damages the chest piece that keeps him alive. So he's forced to fight defensively for a little bit. And in the process, Living Laser is able to escape out of the jail. And the report that Iron Man gets from the guards is that the Living Laser disappeared in a shimmering light. It appears as though not only did the guards not know what was going on, but neither did the Living Laser. Now, Iron Man quickly puts the pieces together here and guesses that the individual behind all of this is in fact the Mandarin. Now, if you'll remember, the Mandarin is actually not currently thought to be alive. He is thought to have been killed in a nuclear blast in Tales of Suspense 86. As we will find out later, that is unfortunately not the case. But in the meantime, Iron Man calls for an Avengers all-hands alert. This is the first time we've seen one of these in a while, and the rest of the Avengers are really pretty curious what's going on, because not only have we not had an all-hands alert in a while, but it's Iron Man calling it, someone who is not currently an active member, and really hasn't participated with the team much for quite a while. The last time we saw him was in Spider-Man Annual Number 3. However, Iron Man didn't really do much in that issue. He was really just there for a team meeting. So as the Avengers assemble for this all-hands call, we cut to the lair of the Mandarin, and we find the Living Laser in a brand new costume, which, it's a little wonky, but it's I think it's better than his original costume, by a fairly significant amount. It's certainly a very Jack Kirby-styled costume, and that makes at least some sense to me, again, Don Heck being the person who took over for Jack Kirby, so I think in this costume redesign, Don takes the opportunity to give him a more traditional, super-powered individual costume. But as the pair converse, the living laser questions the Mandarin on how he is even alive, because like I said, the Mandarin was thought to have been killed in an atomic blast. What people had forgotten was that obviously the Mandarin has his ten rings, one of which is a multi-dimensional transportation device. So the Mandarin was able to teleport away just prior to this blast, and he has survived. And not only has he survived, he has a assembled a group of supervillains alongside him. So we have obviously the Living Laser, and we also see Swordsman, Power Man, Enchantress, and Executioner, all of which have been gathered to the Mandarin's side as part of a plan to take down the Avengers. Now, of course, being the supervillains that they are, they don't really want to play nice with one another, and so the Mandarin plays a little bit of a trick on them in order to get them to all be on his side, at least to fear him enough to obey him, and that is that the Mandarin pretends to transport Namor, the Submariner, to his lair. Namor, predictably, mouths off, and the Mandarin apparently disintegrates Namor. Now, in reality, this is all an illusion created by one of the Mandarin's other rings, but the other supervillains here don't know that, so to them, this is a pretty intimidating kind of show. Once the Mandarin has all these villains under his sway, he shows off some of his equipment here, including an absolutely gigantic diamond built into some kind of device that the Mandarin refers to as the ultimate weapon, which will make them the undisputed masters of the planet. At this point, it's 
unclear what this device does. We will find out later on what it does, but for now, sufficeth to say, this is a cornerstone to the Mandarin's plan. Back in Avengers Mansion, Iron Man has arrived ahead of the rest of the Avengers and is having a nice little chat with his former butler Jarvis. When he is attacked out of nowhere from behind by Hercules. Given the events of the last several issues, Hercules has come to the conclusion that once again Avengers Mansion is being attacked and therefore he needs to defend it. So Hercules and Iron Man get in a rather substantial fight and are only broken up by the appearance of Thor. Now while Iron Man assumes that Thor has arrived as part of this Avengers All Hands, Thor has in fact arrived on his own business because Enchantress and Executioner have been seen roaming around Earth. Now, as it happens, these two things are interconnected, but at the time, the Avengers don't actually know this. Right now, as the three heroes here wrap up their conversation, the rest of the Avengers arrive on scene and they start their emergency meeting. Of course, because this is a full Avengers meeting, they pick a chairman, and because Captain America is the only member of the new and old Avengers, he is unanimously declared the chair, and we get a smattering of thought bubbles and comments about how great a leader Captain America is, which is very true. And in the middle of their meeting, the Avengers receive a call from Nick Fury, the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. Nick informs the assembled Avengers that there are multiple attacks going off across the globe in Africa, Asia, and South America, and that there are various supervillains responsible. When the Avengers question why they should get involved in S.H.I.E.L.D.'s business, Nick Fury points out that S.H.I.E.L.D. is an American agency, and also, when it's a superpowered menace, he tends to want to call superpowered individuals. It seems to make sense. Nick actually has a great joke here, though, and I don't really think it's meant as a joke at this point because of when the book is written, but when Nick contacts the Avengers and realizes that everyone's there, he says, what in blazes? Are you characters having some kind of nutty superhero convention? Turns out Nick Fury is actually kind of onto something here. As, you know, pretty much all of us are aware, there is a rather significant industry built around comic book conventions. Nick Fury is just a little bit ahead of his time, as Nick is often wont to do. With this new information, the Avengers break into smaller teams, as directed by Captain America, and each team heads off in a different direction to go face one of the foes in Asia, Africa, or South America, with Captain America and Quicksilver staying behind to help coordinate the teams and in case something else pops up which inevitably it will, because why else would they be there? It's also worth mentioning here that the story is broken up into multiple parts in a fashion that we have seen in other books. Journey into Mystery is the first one that comes to mind, but several other books have done this where they break the actual story down into several parts. But this is the first Avengers story that's doing this. Our second part of the story, the first of our three locations, is South America, where we find Power Man and Swordsman, who last teamed up against Captain America fighting with the Red Skull, so it makes some sense that these two have gotten paired together, and they are engaging with some South American rebels, and the two supervillains and their newfound friends attack the capital of an unnamed South American country, and they do so in such a manner so that Swordsman and Power Man are able to... Infiltrate's not the right word, because they make a pretty bold entrance, but they're able to skirt around the majority of the attack and go right for the presidential power. At that point, Power Man and Swordsman reveal that there is a literally a giant sword hanging over the city and that at 
the push of a button, the sword can be made to fall down on the city, and as soon as the sword contacts the ground, it will explode, destroying the city. This has got to be one of the most bizarre supervillain anythings I've ever seen. I guess the giant sword is supposed to be a play on the idea of swordsman, kind of a gimmick thing for him. It also rings a little bit of the sword of Damocles, but it's just a very bizarre choice, very cartoonish, very ridiculous, and to be perfectly honest, not all that intimidating. You see you know, the president of this South American country sweating as he's making decisions. There's a lot of nerves and hand-wringing and things like that for something that just doesn't strike me as all that threatening. But apparently it is threatening enough to the president of this country that he is willing to sign a surrender agreement, and as he is just about to do so, Wasp swoops in and steals the pen out of the president's hand, preventing him from signing the surrender, and Goliath quickly engages Power Man and Swordsman. Now, there is a really good fight here between Goliath and Power Man, and I think Don Heck does a really good job of playing to each of the characters' strengths, no pun intended. Goliath is obviously the stronger of the two, but he has a size disadvantage in that he is much bigger and less agile than Power Man, and Power Man makes good use of that. What I also love about the fight between these two is that Goliath doesn't just stay in his Goliath form. He switches back and forth between being Ant-Man and being Goliath in order to confuse Power Man and to surprise him. And I, I don't think we see enough of this in this particular era of Avengers. We get a lot of Goliath, but I don't think Hank Pym makes full use of his powers all the time, and it's a little disappointing when he doesn't. So I'm excited that he does here. Although Wasp makes some headway against Swordsman, Swordsman is able to use the various abilities that the Mandarin built into his sword last time we saw Swordsman in the Avengers. And while Wasp is trying to make off with the remote control for the giant sword, she is taken out by some sleeping gas. Swordsman is able to reclaim the device and activates the sword so that it begins to fall. And we find that Iron Man has also accompanied the pair to South America, but has stayed out of the fight as an ace in the hole, as he describes it. So Iron Man fights desperately to use his repulsors in order to stop the sword from striking the ground and blowing up the city and manages to successfully do so. We get a pretty awesome panel here of Iron Man trying to stop this giant sword, and again, a fairly rare full-page splash. We get a number of them in this issue, but mostly they're at the beginning of the different parts of the issue, whereas this is smack in the middle. But I really like it. It's a great Iron Man... Really, it's, a, it's almost an Iron Man pinup, is what it amounts to. Iron Man is front and center, doing his best to prevent this sword from crashing to the ground, and it's just it's very well done by Don Heck. Now, of course, Iron Man is successful and Wasp and Goliath managed to take out Swordsman, thereby neutralizing the threat in South America, much to the Mandarin's chagrin. That takes us on to part three, in which we get a teaming up of Hercules and Scarlet Witch. This is kind of fun. As we've seen before, there's a little bit of sexual tension between the two of them, so I kind of like getting the two of them paired up and seeing what happens. As it so happens, they are fighting Enchantress, Executioner, and an army of very armed, very angry-looking trolls. It's also worth noting here, and I don't 
I don't exactly know when this happened, but Executioner has his helmet and his battle axe back. If you remember in their first appearance in the Avengers, these two items are taken from Executioner as they are the signs of his office as Odin kicks him out for the crimes they committed. So I don't know if this is just a drop in continuity, if they are similar but replacement items, or if I have just missed where these items were returned to Executioner. I don't think I've missed anything because the only time Executioner has been seen since his last appearance in the Avengers was in a Tales of Suspense story where Hulk is sent into the 25th century and fights Executioner in the future. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense for Executioner to have gotten his badge of office back in that particular story, so I think this is just a bit of a continuity hole. So as Executioner and Hercules prepare to square off against one another, the Mandarin tells Executioner to get get back to the plan and executioner quickly blows off the mandarin because the mandarin is a mere mortal and the executioner is a god and hercules is completely willing to oblige executioner's desire to fight and the two of them begin to engage however executioner doesn't feel like fighting where they are on midgar so he transports everyone to the citadel of silence much in the same way that thor has used mjolnir to create time warps executioner does something similar with his battle axe so now it is just hercules and executioner and enchantress and scarlet witch facing off against one another now hercules and Executioner, it's a fairly even match, and it's also the first time we're seeing it. Enchantress and Scarlet Witch, however, have faced off against one another several times, but this is the first time that the two of them have fought one another since Scarlet Witch has returned to the team, and her hex powers are back and really maxed out for this era of comics. So instead of being overwhelmed like she normally has been against Enchantress, Scarlet Witch is actually able to hold her own, which is kind of nice. Now, Executioner, on the other hand, kind of gets the snot beaten out of him. I mean, he puts up a good fight, but Hercules is far better matched and is able to disarm Executioner. Though, interestingly enough, Hercules, because he has this thing for what he thinks of as fair fights, throws away his mace in the process and shifts to a straight-on fist fight with Executioner, which he still manages to win. Now, while this is going on, Enchantress creates a frost giant enchantment, as we'll call it. It's basically a giant creature that is supposed to be kind of reminiscent of a frost giant, but is imbued with so much magic that Scarlet Witch's powers have no effect on it. The only thing that could affect it is another Asgardian. It's important to note here in a moment, because as the fight with Hercules goes south for Executioner, one of the things that Hercules does is chucks Executioner at this enchanted creature, and it explodes. As part of the explosion, Enchantress suffers some kind of mystic backlash and is knocked unconscious. So Hercules and Scarlet Witch are able to apprehend the pair. They use Executioner's battle axe to return to Midgar, and once again the Mandarin is foiled, so now he's 0 for 2. However, the Mandarin isn't overly worried, because, as he puts it, a surprise awaits the remaining Avengers, a most deadly surprise. So we cut to part four here, where we find the living laser in Africa, and whichever country he's in, and I'm, I'm going to guess South Africa because there's a lot of white folks in this crowd, but wherever the living laser is, he has taken control of the parliamentary building and is effectively holding parliament hostage. Now, something I, I've failed to mention before now, and it's worth noting, that 
all three of the areas that the Mandarin has sent these other villains to are areas that are heavy in diamond mining. And diamonds will play a further role in the rest of this issue. But for now, just kind of tuck that in the back of your mind. So while the Living Laser is holding this parliamentary building hostage, he is approached by Hawkeye and Thor. And although the Living Laser is really pretty powerful, at least when it comes to Thor, he's definitely outclassed. You know, Hawkeye is smart and is capable and has fought him before, but Thor's the god of thunder with Mjolnir. So the Living Laser tries his best. However, it's not particularly effective, so he ends up running away. And as the Avengers corner him, which they eventually do, there is a giant rumbling explosion from a nearby volcano and we see the Mandarin's deadly secret in the creature known as Ultimo. So Ultimo first appeared in Tales of Suspense number 76 through 78 and he was a creation of the Mandarin. So Iron Man went to go face off against the Mandarin. The Mandarin had Ultimo, however Ultimo was not alive. The Mandarin detonated a volcano and used the energy to bring Ultimo to life. Iron Man didn't fare so well against Ultimo, but managed to set off the volcano again, consuming Ultimo, or at least disabling him. But as we see once again, Ultimo is back, and he is supremely powerful. So of course, Hawkeye stays behind to deal with the living laser, and Thor goes off to face the giant threat, because let's be honest, Thor's really the one who's there to face that level threat. Now, in the process of this, Thor is separated from Mjolnir, and just just as time is running out and Thor is going to turn back into Donald Blake and be killed by Ultimo, Hawkeye returns on the scene, distracts Ultimo for a moment, and although Thor turns back into Donald Blake, when in a somewhat comical scene where he dives for the hammer, turns back into Donald Blake, falls down a hill, manages to get what is now his walking stick, tap it on the ground, and turn back into Thor. Donald Blake's gonna wake up really sore in the morning, but he at least is gonna wake up alive. Now, with Ultimo slightly distracted by Hawkeye, Thor is able to gain the upper hand momentarily and uses his advantage to slowly but surely push Ultimo back into the volcano. Then eventually, once Ultimo is inside the volcano, Thor calls down lightning and thunder to help seal him in the volcano. So at this point, all of the Mandarin's minions have been defeated, and we return to New York where we find Captain America and Quicksilver, who have been monitoring the entire situation and realize that the Mandarin's signals have been coming not from Earth, but in fact from an orbiting space station. So Captain America and Quicksilver very rapidly make their way to a launch site, jump on a space-bound rocket, and head to this giant space station in Earth orbit where they find none other than the Mandarin. And of course, Captain America and Quicksilver face off against this mightiest of foes. You know, the Mandarin with his ten rings is honestly one of the more powerful villains that any hero in the Marvel Universe is facing off against, certainly in this time period, and even into the modern day, he's still a rather powerful villain. So, as Captain America battles the Mandarin somewhat to a standstill, the rest of the Avengers show up, because they have 
have been monitoring what was going on. They know where Quicksilver and Cap went, so they followed suit and came to space to the space station. It's worth noting that this is, this is really the first Avengers space adventure. In this case, it's fairly mundane. It's just going to orbit. But for most of the Avengers, this is their first trip into space. Certainly, it's their first trip as a team. I think Pietro and Wanda probably have the most time in space as they spent some time on Asteroid M when they were part of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. But the arrival of the Avengers has given the Mandarin an opportunity to demonstrate the power of his new weapon. And as he activates it, a beam is sent through the giant diamond, aimed at the Avengers, and all of the Avengers begin to fight one another. The purpose of the beam, as we come to find out, is that it is a hate ray, and it causes any individual to fight the person nearest them. So immediately the Avengers turn on one another. Hercules turns on Thor, Cap turns on Goliath, Wanda turns on Quicksilver, which I think is one of the more interesting ones. Hercules turning on Thor is kind of interesting because Hercules feels this sense of indebtedness to Thor. Cap and Goliath haven't really battled for, but certainly they have both been Avengers team leaders at times, so there's a bit of conflict there. But Wanda turning on Pietro, I think, is the the most impressive one or important one because of how close the siblings are and how protective Pietro is of Wanda. If you remember, Pietro is constantly doing things to look out for Wanda. And if you follow our standard Avengers fighting protocol, Quicksilver getting injured is usually the impetus for Scarlet Witch getting involved. And that's how a lot of Avengers fights have started off. Now we get another great splash page of the Avengers fighting against one another. This one, although I don't think the note is necessary, it is worth noting. There is a bullpen note that talks about, since this is a once a year special issue, that Don, Heck, and Art Simic have been allowed to have a lot of fun with pages like this and really show what they can do. It's also worth noting that this is the first time this issue is referenced to having been a once in a year kind of thing. The actual issue itself is not titled Avengers Annual. It is in fact King Size Special Avengers. So although we recognize this as an annual issue, it wasn't actually billed as one. So Stan's little note, whether you think it should be there or not, is again the first inkling that this is something that we have to look forward to on an annual basis right now. Admittedly that annual basis is somewhat flexible, but we will have these annual annuals off and on for a while. Now, just as the Avengers are really getting at one another's throats, suddenly everything stops and they come to their senses. And they do so because the Mandarin has been knocked backwards against a control panel. What's happened here is that when the Avengers were hit by the hate ray, they immediately started fighting the person nearest them. Well, as it turns out, Wasp was nearest to the Mandarin, so that's who she attacked. And the Mandarin was caught off guard and smashed into this control panel. Now, as the Mandarin regains consciousness after his momentary stunning, he attempts to fire a new weapon at the Avengers, and Quicksilver is able to slightly alter his aim such that the blast missed the Avengers and begins ricocheting around the space station. And unfortunately for the Mandarin, the blast hits the side of the station, blowing it out and sucking him out into space. Now, the Avengers are fortunate in that they are saved by none other than the giant diamond. Hercules and Thor are able to get a hold of the diamond and use it to plug the giant hole in the space station, because the diamond is the only thing big enough to do it. So, 
With the Mandarin sucked out into space and the Avengers out of immediate danger, the team take a moment and they decide that although the space station certainly holds a lot of advanced technology and could be helpful, they decide that they're better off destroying the space station. So the Avengers quickly set the self-destruct and evacuate the station, returning home. And the last page of the story is is got some really great art and also, I think, some really great dialogue. Most of it is the Avengers just talking about how they should do this more often, get together as a giant team and fight. So obviously the Avengers agree to, to do that, but one of the things I like here is we see Hercules' thought bubble thinking about how much he really likes being a part of this team, even though he's not actually a member. And this is a little bit of foreshadowing into the fact that in the very near future Hercules will be joining the team, but I like the fact that we get to express these ideas that Hercules has internally. It's one of the really fun things about comics is that you get that inner monologue of characters. Now, from here, obviously the story is over, but there are, again, a few more pages left, and we get two very nice half-page autobiographies of Don Heck and Roy Thomas. Roy Thomas talks about transitioning from being a comics fan to being a comics writer. And, of course, our last two pages, our last three pages, are a really great pinup of Hercules, a cross-sectional diagram, of the layout of Avengers Mansion and then a combined pinup of Black Widow, Wasp, and Scarlet Witch and it's actually a quite nice looking Scarlet Witch. All said and done for as long a story as this is, it's a lot of fun. It's pretty inconsequential in the grand scheme of things. It is the first time that we get all of the Avengers fighting together with the exception of Hulk so it's noteworthy in that regard but that's really about it. In general, it's a lot of fun. There's some really great action and you get to see the Avengers facing off against a number of their classic villains from this era. Moving forward, we're going to start introducing a number of new villains and characters into the Avengers. The next two issues cover the Super Adaptoid. In less than 10 issues, we will introduce Ultron, and a couple of issues after that, we will introduce Vision. So the times, they are changing, folks, but they're changing for the better. However, it is always fun to have one last little uh, hurrah before we move forward. Remember, you can find us at AvengersAssembly.com, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. If you'd like to be a part of the conversation, send your questions and comments to Andrew at AvengersAssembly.com. Next week, we're going to be taking a look at Avengers number 45, Blitzkrieg in Central Park. All right, hey. All right, good job, guys. Let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. Have you ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it.